How does storytelling help make sense of the stuff that happens? How does story and meaning connect with how we see ourselves? What is God's story and how does it connect with our story? And why is being part of a church community good for our mental health? Welcome to Talking Theology, a podcast to Cranmer Hall, Durham, where we explore some of life's big questions and try to join the dots between theology, church and the world. I'm your host, Philip Fleming, and in today's show, I'll be talking to Dr. Jocelyn Bryan. Joss is academic dean here at Cranmer Hall, and as well as holding a doctorate in psychology, she's also a licensed lay minister in the Church of England. So our question today is, what does psychology have to do with theology. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy the show. Joss Bryan, welcome to Talking Theology. Thank you, it's really good to be here. Now Joss, you did a PhD in psychology, you worked in management for a large computer company, and then you ended up teaching theology and ministerial formation here at Cranmer for more years than we'll go into. Give us a flavour about how that journey looked like for you and, and what your own personal narrative was in that journey here. Well, my research for my PhD was on ageing and memory. It does seem an awful long way from theological formation. But I approached that um, with a real interest in how we become who we are and what are the factors that impact on that. And one of the interesting things about memory is it's absolutely vital for our functioning. It's so obvious, but it's true. And we know that as people age, their memories begin to fail and decline and what the impact that has on their everyday lives was something that really interested me. I could have done a postdoc, but I didn't. That's kind of further research, isn't it, after your PhD? Yes, and yeah, that, that was quite a big decision at the time, whether I pursued an academic career at that point, and I decided not to for personal reasons. And it was really by chance I ended up in management in a large computer company who thought clearly that a woman who got a PhD in uh, psychology was quite an interesting person to recruit. I ended up as the only female manager in the Northeast, managing a team of 20 men. That was a fascinating time in my life. And then children came along and someone said, it would be really interesting to have someone like you working in ministry for ministerial formation, because you bring knowledge of psychology, you've managed people, You've done a lot of staff development, which we think will be really informative and stretching and important in ministerial formation. So I said, OK. Alongside that, of course, I was training to be a preacher and um, very much involved in local church. So you brought that connection that you were training to be a preacher at the same time. And ministerial formation, just to unpack the code word, is helping people as they train to be ministers within uh, the Church of England and mm. other denominations mm. that we offer here at Cranmer. So you, you yourself kind of embody some of that, what is often understood to be a tension between psychology on the one hand and theology on the other. And they kind of have a history of being sceptical, even critical of one another in a number of circles. I'm interested, before we get into the whole question of narrative today that are, that's our topic, just more generally, how do you approach theology as a psychologist and I guess psychology as a theologian? What are the things that are important for you in that debate? That's a really challenging and interesting question. As you, as you rightly mm. say, people find that the relationship between the two disciplines quite threatening and difficult. 
I think for me, let's let's deal with how I see theology, first of all, as a psychologist. Theology has, for me, always to be about informing the way we live out our faith. Theology has to be practical for me. It's about the living God and how we embody that faith. And so I also, as a psychologist, value human experience as a source of divine revelation. I take that really, really seriously. In other words, that God is speaking to us in what the very stuff of life. Exactly. Yeah. And, and through who we are, in and through who we are. And I would see the Bible as a narrative of human lives and their relationship with God and how they find God and God reveals himself to them. I think that's so fundamental to the way that I approach theology. So the Bible is a story of people who have themselves encountered God, who God has encountered, and that's essentially like it's just it's a story of psychological encounter, therefore. Yes. Yeah. And, and and I'm very comfortable with almost taking a psychological lens to the biblical text and saying, Okay, what given what we know about human experience, about human behaviour, human emotions, how they respond to various things in life. What does that tell us about what's going on in the text? So that's the theology as a psychologist. What about psychology as a theologian? Well, I make this basic assumption that God exists and that God can transform human beings through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, most psychologists would be very uncomfortable with someone who said that. And that doesn't mean to say I don't approach psychology seriously as an academic discipline, but my research interest has moved to describing how faith works in the human person. So what difference does believing in God, being open to the Holy Spirit working in someone's life, what difference does that make to them psychologically? And how do we work with that to inform Christian ministry and to help them grow in their faith? So they're two kind of both can speak into each other's disciplines in a really constructive way. Yeah, and, and that's what I seek to do in my work. We're looking today at the particular question of narrative and story. I know you've been working in an area I think is really interesting, which is the whole idea of mental health and mm. the Bible and mental health. And you've done some work, I know, in particular in the area of narrative and meaning-making and mental health. So I'd love to kind of talk that general area through with you and, and let's kind of see how psychology and theology are working together in that area. Let's look at the psychological aspect. First of all, why and how is narrative important in terms of how we find meaning? It might be perhaps helpful to, to answer that question by considering how do we make sense of our experience and find meaning in our lives without using narrative? Okay, mm -hmm. so that um, psychologically, when we're in our conscious state, we're experiencing like a constant flow of events and experiences, and they're changing all the time. And some are predictable, and some are not. What would it be like, though, if our experience was just a relentless sequence of these events? And of course, that's not how we do it. We make connections. We are all the time, I think, discerning cause and effect. Yeah. And so we make sense of all these episodes and events by putting them together in a narrative, hour by hour, day by day. We tell the story 
of what's happened to us. And it is a story. This happened, then that happened. And then someone else said that. And unexpectedly, this happened. Okay, And I think it's really interesting how someone like a very famous psychologist, Joanne Bruner, says narrative imitates life and life imitates narrative. And I think that's that echoes our experience. So what you're saying is that within each, for example, I might make a, I could tell you the narrative of this day, Mm. which started fairly early on this morning and has got to the point where mid-afternoon, the sun's just going down here in Durham and there's a story of my day that is effectively, it's not a series of random events. There's a story behind it and I can tell you that story that that you say that's part of making sense that's part of actually me finding meaning yes i think so that's how we understand what's happening to us actually and what has happened to us and there may be events in the day that take on a new significance when you replay the narrative yeah so you actually remember the story you don't necessarily remember everything that's happened and so you're suggesting that, that actually psychologically what's going on is we're constantly creating narratives and we might be remembering more the narratives than the actual events Absolutely. within them and how we do that. And you say we just do that intuitively. Yeah. Yes. And of course, actually, we don't just remember the story. What we're remembering is our interpretation of the story. Now, that will be affected by all kinds of other things like... What was our goal for the day? Yeah. How was I feeling about that? And why was I feeling like that? And that affects the story that we retain within memory. I know one of the things you've, because you've written in this area, Mm -hmm. you're writing in this area, Joss, and and you talked about there are four needs that we have for meaning, which is purpose, value, efficacy and self-worth. They sound very good, impressive words. Why are they significant in terms of our own self-worth and our own mental health and and where does narrative fit in within that? Okay, so so this comes out of the work of two psychologists called Bowmeister and Wilson. And what they suggest is that we construct our personal narrative to fulfil these essential needs, okay? And the first is purpose. If our lives don't have purpose, a sense of purpose in any way, our mental health suffers. So we construct personal narratives in order to, if you like, provide evidence that we have a purpose in life. Value and justification, I think, is really interesting because they they suggest that human beings want to be seen to have lived a good life. And it's interesting that very early on in life, children have a sense of morality, of right and wrong. But what matters in a personal narrative is that we can tell a story that we've lived a good life. And if we can't, that has some impact, negative impact, on our mental health, which I find very Mm. interesting in terms of faith, Mm -hmm. image of God. It raises some really interesting theological questions for us. Um, Efficacy is related I think to this sense of living a good life it's about having that need to have made a positive contribution that we have been in control of that's been ours to own so that what they would say and I think they've got a lot of evidence to to support this that being passive is not seen as living a good life it's not a positive thing for mental health 
And I think if you if you think about some both mental and physical conditions, then the impact on mental health of being passive is really quite significant. And then finally, self-worth. Well, I think we all like to be loved and to think about ourselves as lovable and affirmed by other people. But we also want to have a sense of our own worth, that we achieve what we set out to achieve, that other people appreciate us. That's vital for good mental health. And so the intersection between narrative and mental health there, Joss, Mm. is that narratives that help us shape or or, or clarify our purpose, our value, our efficacy, our self-worth are really important in our mental health. So in a sense, it's important for our mental health that we're able to construct narratives that touch each of those four points. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And we might even misconstrue narratives Mm. in order to meet those needs which becomes really interesting because mm. then you're you're into the area of, of the validity of narratives mm-hmm. and whose truth is it we'll come back to that in a mm. moment let's just look at the other section now which is narrative in theology and the bible you talked about why narrative is is important for us as human beings mm. it's how we understand meaning and significance what place does narrative have within the biblical account well i suppose it goes without saying the bible conveys theological truth through narrative yeah, it is the story, isn't it, of God and the people of God, right from creation to new creation. If we take the New Testament, and it chronicles the story of the people of Israel and their relationship with God through telling the story and the history. And of course, the New Testament, the Gospels, story of Jesus, who used story to convey truths, to speak truth to people. So the Bible is a book of narratives. What I think is really interesting, though, is the power of the narrative of scripture. And what I'm particularly interested in is how that narrative of scripture becomes woven into personal narratives, changes personal narratives, yeah, has an impact, shapes personal narratives. I think it's a remarkable thing about the power of a text to do that. And one of the things that I think helps us to do that, why why this power of scripture is unleashed, I think, is that it taps so, so deeply into our humanity. It taps into human experience in, in a way that is very powerful. It resonates with us. It touches our hearts and our minds and our souls. And it invites us to take the truth of this narrative into ourselves. And that's very powerful, I think. So what you're saying is that the Bible is this big narrative, a big story Mm. of God and his people, but it also becomes my narrative as Mm. I enter into it, as God's story becomes my story, as I encounter to Christ and experience forgiveness and redemption and hope and joy. In a sense, those words from the big story become words of my story. Yes, but it's more than that, isn't it? Because I think... There's, there's something else going on in that we participate then in the story of God. And I love this idea that, if you like, Scripture is a text that we are to consume, that we might be strengthened and shaped by it. And it's a text that, oh, Gerard Lachlan has a wonderful phrase. He says, uh, we are nourished by its word and unable to perform its story. And I think that really captures this sense of participating in the story of God, but also it being part of our story. These two stories are completely entwined with each other, which to me is um, 
very, very exciting that through the power of the Holy Spirit, this word of God in Scripture, this story of God comes alive and is performed and lived out. So it's not just a question of the scripture becomes my story, but I become part of scripture's story. Exactly. And that feels really exciting. Part of the unfolding story of God. Let's come back to those four things about meaning, Joss, mm-hmm. the, the, the purpose, the value, the efficacy, the self-worth. How is it that the Bible story touches into each of those four things? Purpose is pretty straightforward, isn't it? You know, we are called, created as children of God, and to do his will, and to participate in his loving purposes. So purpose is straightforward. Well, when we come to justification and value, then that's about leading a good life, being faithful, growing in holiness, being Christ-like. Efficacy is about making a positive contribution. And I think as we go through the scripture, the narrative of scripture, and particularly the ministry of Jesus, the value that he puts on everyone, no one is excluded. Everyone is precious, is very clear in Scripture. And of course, that plays out too in the final one, self-worth, that we are loved and created by God, that we all matter, that Jesus died for each one of us. So each of them, I think, we can, for each of those needs, there are places in Scripture and narratives in Scripture which fulfill those needs in a very powerful and, I would say, life-transforming way. We're beginning to see this wonderful conversation, Joss, between theology and psychology. You've outlined to us the way in which there are kind of four things that are important in the stories that we tell about ourselves. But you've also suggested there's a bigger story that can inform our story and invites us kind of out of our story to be part of God's story. You talked to us about the purpose of glorifying God, the value of holiness and following Christ, the efficacy of being useful to Christ and precious and the self-worth of actually being loved by Christ. What implications does that have for what good mental health looks like for people who are seeking to live a life of faith? How, in other words, do we get those two stories, two levels of story to join? The level of my personal story, which might be quite challenging, where perhaps I'm struggling, and the level of accessing and playing a part in God's story. I think there's some obvious things through reading the scriptures through good preaching, through being in a community that is seeking to embody and live out that story. They're key, I think, as part of this intertwining. What's also, though, interesting to me is that quite often in psychology, there's such a deep resonance with what the research says about human flourishing and the gospel. And I think we need to not be afraid of that and to go with it, I say. I, I think that often there's resistance to psychology in theology and also in Christian ministry that we need to overcome those barriers. So if I'm right, for example, to come back to that point you were making about the fact that it's important to be part of a community mm. which is living that story and mm. being part of a community helps God's big sp- story become our story too. Yeah. A number of people listening to this podcast will be in local churches Sunday by Sunday. Are you saying that we should perhaps be a little bit more confident in saying, actually, being in part of a church can be good for your mental health because it can help you be part of a story that's bigger than your own story and that perhaps we should be a bit more confident about that? Not that that makes it easy, but there's just a value there perhaps we don't always recognise. I think absolutely. Well, I think it's a really helpful example is, mm. is the work on self-esteem. Mm. 
Now, we all know that self-esteem is really important for mental health. It's a tricky one, I think, in terms of the Christian faith, because high self-esteem might be seen as being proud. You know, we are called to be humble. We have the example of Jesus, who was our humble servant. So how do we deal with self-esteem? And psychology has realised that high self-esteem and actually increasing one's self-esteem as a goal in life actually is not a good thing for us. So what psychology has sought to uncover is, well, what is optimal self-esteem? What level of self-esteem is life-giving? And it's really, really interesting what they've come up with. They suggest that making self-esteem as a goal in life is in fact self-defeating and optimal self-esteem is achieved when self-esteem is not being pursued but the goals we strive for are rooted in inner values which are larger than self and self-worth. It's when we contribute or are creative towards a higher goal, something outside ourselves, which resonates with our inner values. I think that's what we're called to do. I think that's gospel living. Yeah. And that's gospel living, which is both related to God in a personal relationship, but also lived out in a community where we're encouraged to care for the other. Exactly. And not just to care for the self. Yeah. And psychology recognises that this actually risks us feeling that our self-worth might even be threatened because it's so focused away from self. But what they say is, actually, the rewards from doing this are really, really significant in terms of our optimal feeling of self-worth, which is actually life-giving and secure. So, Joss, how does that speak into a culture which can kind of create the self as the most important thing? And how can those of us who are members of local churches remember that being part of a community is actually good for you? It's hugely countercultural. But here we have psychological evidence that actually being countercultural is life-giving. And there are other areas in psychology which are celebrating this and pushing this. So in positive psychology, we know that generosity actually makes us feel good. (laughs) That caring for others is a positive thing. All these things are taking us away from being self-focused. And that's, isn't that the heart of the gospel? So what you're suggesting, Joss, is that actually far from psychology and Christian theology being at the opposite ends of the argument, actually there's things that psychology is revealing where we can say, well, actually, this is something which Christian theology is able to speak into very directly. And Christian experience in terms of the practical theology is able to live out. That's not surprising, is it, if, if, if God is the God of all things and the God who made us and understands how we tick better perhaps than we understand ourselves? I think you're absolutely right. And I don't think it's surprising at all. And we shouldn't be surprised by it. But I find it really interesting that it's it's not spoken out. It's not said very often. And and I also find it interesting that I have a book on my bookshelf called The Curse of the Self by a Psychologist. Joss, you've shown us how incredibly rich this conversation can be between psychology and theology. Two final questions, if I may. First of all, what advice would you give to people perhaps in pastoral ministry, people involved in serving in local churches about caring for people perhaps with mental health challenges, just on the light of what we've explored today? I think be attentive to those psychological needs. I think that's really, really important. Recognise that if any of those psychological needs, those four psychological needs are not being met, 
that person's mental health is at risk. Have confidence in the way of life that Jesus calls us to as disciples. Have confidence in the love of God for every human being and proclaim that. And I think the other thing that's vitally important is have confidence and embody the hope that the Bible narrative offers us. I think that's so important because what we hope for and the hope that we trust in affects how we experience the now, our current state. And one of the things that I reflect on is that so often in our churches, we do not celebrate that hope. That hope is not in focus. We mourn how things used to be. We struggle sometimes with the present and what we're dealing with. But we need to embody and live out this narrative of hope. And finally, if I may, Joss, how has this spoken to your own faith journey over the years in terms of as a theologian and as a psychologist and bringing the two in dialogue? What's that meant for you as a disciple of Jesus Christ, if I can ask? I think it's made me reflect a lot more on who I am and what my purpose in life is. And what I can learn from scripture about that. So taking that very seriously alongside what I know as a psychologist, it's given me more confidence, I think, to trust in the goodness and love of God and to appreciate and live out the hope. I really have come to a a very strong conviction that the hopeful narrative of scripture is the source of transformation. Without hope, what is this life? Purpose, everything comes into question. So that's been very important for me. It also has given me, I think, insight into what I need to flourish and what others need to flourish and how I can be attentive to meeting those needs and sensitive to those needs in others. I'm far more self-conscious, I think, about what I'm striving for and setting my priorities at this stage in life, but also in ways that enable me to fulfil my vocation. How is the narrative of scripture shaping how I live out my vocation? Your vocation has been a great blessing and to us today. Uh, Joss Bryan, thank you very much for appearing on Talking Theology. Thank you, it's been really good to be here. have been listening to Talking Theology, a podcast from Cranmahal, Durham. Cranmahal is a theological college within St. John's College in the University of Durham, training people for ministry in the Church of England and other denominations. Find out more about us at cranmahal.com.